Okay, so uh, good morning all. Um, We are going to look at a familiar passage today. Um, And so I want you to come with me as we go through that passage um, and to try and look at it afresh, not because I want to get new and wild and wacky things out of it, but because I want it to mean something today. Um, And uh, therefore, um, just to start off with, I'm going to title it slightly differently. I'm going to call it The Story of Two Brothers. The Story of Two Brothers. Um, And Rachel, I've asked to come up, and she's going to read it out for you. We're going to start at Luke 15, verse 11, and go all the way through to verse 32. The parable of the prodigal son. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found." Thank you, Rachel. That's brilliant. Really good just to hear the story read, isn't it? Let's just pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, just ask you to to come and to speak through those words, Lord Jesus. Will you speak to us, Lord? Will you encourage us and bless us, Lord? Will you touch us by your spirit? Lord, I pray particularly today, you won't just touch our minds, but you'd touch our hearts and our emotions. 
Lord, we'd sense your spirit on us, your closeness to us, your love, abounding love for each one of us. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so as I uh, said at the beginning, we're going to look at the tale of two brothers. Um, so the, what are the, my structure is very simple. I'm just going to look at the first brother, the younger brother, and then I'm going to look at the older brother, and then just see if I can draw some conclusions for us. Um, but let's just give a little bit of context. You will remember... Um, many of you will have heard it, or some heard it on the internet, uh, Pete's talk last week on the lost coin and the lost sheep. And he said very clearly then, there are these three parables all linked together. But there's a difference in this one. Because you have the lost coin, about finding that lost coin. You have the lost sheep, finding the lost sheep. But then you have the two brothers. It's not just about finding the one brother, it's the other brother that comes in. So if you like, it's the same as those, it fits in with that pattern, but it has this slight difference. Now, verse 11 says this, there was a man who had two sons. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear that at the beginning, but I think of, well, that's like me. I've got two sons. And many of us here will have or be part of two children, an older and a younger. And there'll be differences between those children, won't there? Maybe you have more, and you know that they're, they're distinct and different. In fact, some of them, you think, how can they come from the same family? They're so different. One of them could be creative and wild and enthusiastic, and the other one very quiet and dutiful and... You can see one or two smiling, so you know perhaps which category you fall into with your parents. You know, maybe there's one who did rebel considerably and tried to disrupt the family, and then sometimes you get another one whose whole aim was just to keep everything together and to do the right thing. A tale of two sons is actually something that we can feel part of. It can be part of our own experience. And actually, it is quite a biblical theme, if you think about it, Tales of Two Sons. If you think back through the Old Testament, you could start with the two sons, Cain and Abel, couldn't you? Yeah, there was definitely a difference between those two. Definitely a story that goes with it. You could go back to Isaac and Ishmael, two very distinct sons. Or Jacob and Esau. Very Different sons. Two sons who make different choices. Some sons who reconcile. Some who murder each other. Some who don't reconcile. A very interesting theme. And for the hearers at the time in first century Palestine, there would have been all those noises coming in. It's a tale of two sons. It's a tale of two sons. I mean, we could think of it, bringing up tonight to the modern day and not wanting to be too controversial, we could say, oh, this is a tale of William and Harry. You could do, couldn't you? And you could say, actually, there's a, there's a relevance today, just the idea of having two sons. Bob, you're only on verse 11, and you've been speaking for too long, but it's true, isn't it? This kind of comes into our life and our culture, and we understand it in a certain way. Um, actually, I'm an only child, so for me, it's slightly different. But I suppose I have 
two sons. But that is an experience that we can talk about. I think the other thing that's important to bring out, which again Pete brought out last time, is to go back to who specifically was listening. Luke 5 verse 1 says, clearly there are two distinct groups. Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him. One group, the underbelly of society. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them, the religious leaders of the day. So once again, you get a tale of two sons spoken to two audiences sitting together in front of Jesus as he gave this parable. Now, I don't know how you understand a parable, but for me it's a story that may have echoes in society, may even have come from a, a, a folk tale that came through which has a different slant on it. But there's no doubt there that Jesus was using this story that had these echoes and this powerful um, thought. Now, um, this is going to be a little bit powerful, so just want to warn you. Um, and uh, I will try my best not to shed a tear. I think I've managed to get through once without. Um, but this is a story um, that, if you like, is an updated version of this. And I've got, I had a couple of them, and I think probably this is the best one uh, to use today. It comes from this amazing book, Father Heart of God, by Floyd McClung, that many of you will know. Um, and uh, it's a story of uh, a man called Sawat, uh, who is a Thai gentleman, comes from Thailand. Um, and this was written, oh, I don't know, late 70s, early 80s, something like that? Yeah. Okay. It was Sawat's first venture into Bangkok's world of prostitution. It all began innocently enough, but soon he was caught up in it like a small piece of wood in a raging river. It was too powerful for him, too swift, and the current too strong. Soon, he was selling opium to customers and propositioning tourists in the hotels. He even went so low as to actually help buy and sell young girls, some of them only nine and ten years old. It was a nasty business. He was one of the most important young businessmen. So Art became a central figure in one of the world's largest and most loathsome trades, Thailand's sex industry. So what had disgraced his family? He had dishonoured his father's name. He came to Bangkok to escape the dullness of village life. He found excitement. And while he prospered in this sordid life, he was popular. But then the bottom dropped out of his world. He hit a string of bad luck. He was robbed while trying to climb back to the top. He was arrested. Everything went wrong. The word spread in the underworld that he was a police spy. He finally ended up living in a shanty by a city rubbish dump. Sitting in his little shack, he thought about his family, especially his father. He remembered the parting words of his father, a simple Christian man from a small village in the south near the Malaysian border. I I'm waiting for you. Would his father still be waiting for him after all he'd done to dishonour the family name? 
Would he receive him home after disregarding all he'd been taught about God's love? Word had long ago filtered back to his village about his life of crime and sin. Finally, he devised a plan. Dear Father, he wrote, I want to come home, but I don't know if you'll receive me after all that I've done. I have sinned greatly, Father. Please forgive me. On Saturday night, I'll be on a train which goes through our village. If you're still waiting for me, will you tie a piece of cloth on the po tree in front of our house? Now, I have to be honest, I don't know what a po tree is. But I don't think it's a common tree in Thailand. Okay, so I think this would have been a distinct tree. Probably some people here will tell me later exactly what it looks like. I've looked it up. But anyway, it's a po tree in front of the house. During the train ride, he thought over his life of evil. He knew his father had every right to refuse to see him. As the train finally neared the village, he was filled with anxiety. What would he do if there was no piece of cloth on the po tree? Sitting opposite Sawat was a kind stranger who noticed how nervous his fellow passenger had become. Finally, Sawat can stand the pressure no longer. The story burst out in a torrent of words. He told the man everything. As they entered the village, Sawat said, Oh, sir, I cannot bear to look. Can you watch for me? What if my father will not receive me back home? Sawat buried his face between his knees. Do you see it, sir? It's the only house with a poetry. Young man, your father did not hang one piece of cloth. Look, he has covered the whole tree with pieces of cloth. He could hardly believe his eyes. There was the tree covered in the front yard with his old father. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I've never got through it. <laughs> Oh dear, ah, let me try that again. There was a tree covered in the front yard with his old father dancing up and down, joyously waving a white piece of cloth. His father ran beside the train, and when it stopped at a little station, he threw his arms round his son, embracing him with tears of joy. I've been waiting for you, he exclaimed. Now that's such a powerful story, isn't it? And I don't want to use that to take away from the biblical story here, but I think it just brings a different feeling on it. It gives, t- touches our emotions. I know it touches mine every time. That feeling of the Father, the love of the Father, it touches my heart. And it should do, shouldn't it, as us as Christians? We should feel as well as understand what God says in his word. Okay. So, let me go through then. Let's uh, continue to look at this younger brother and go through. And I'm really just going through verse by verse and giving some opinions and then trying to draw together some thoughts at the end. So the first 12 says this, And the younger man said to his father, Father, give me the share of your property that is coming to me. Now, in my context, if my son said that to me now, I would find that unusual, wouldn't you? And as a dad, I would have a very short answer. (laughs) And apparently, that would have been the same in first century Palestine. It was not usual. It should not have been done. But somehow, the father, in his grace and mercy, or stupidity, whatever you think, 
he decided that he was going to say yes. Now, interestingly, in Deuteronomy uh, 21, verse 17, uh, it talks about the firstborn son by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the firstfruits of his strength. So whereas I always thought this was 50-50, sold half the farm, cut it in half, sold it, actually, it was two-thirds, one-third, two parts to the elder son, one to the other son, because it said there were only two sons. So here we have a third of the property. And the idea probably is everything that was disposable was sold. So it would be jewellery. It might be bits of farm machinery or, or things. It was things that could easily be sold. Rather than selling the land, anything that could be sold would be sold to provide this money. Now, not many... Days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. There he squandered, interesting, listen to this, there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, reckless living can have two ideas to it. It can be the idea of sin. He's doing things he shouldn't be doing. Yeah? But it also has the idea of young stupidity. I'm going to do a bit of this. It doesn't matter what money. And we know sometimes that younger people, sorry, younger people, um, don't have the same concept of what money means, do they? They don't get that. So there's, a, there's an element of here of being young and silly with money. In fact, it doesn't specifically say here that there's anything to do with prostitution or anything like that involved, does it? That's not specifically said. It probably is alluded to, but it's not specifically said. And when he'd spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Interesting there as well, the famine was not his fault. Yeah? You can't blame the son for the famine. He was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, being reckless with the money. So there's a sense here that he'd done the wrong thing, he'd turned his back on his family, yes, but he'd also got himself into a mess. And when he'd spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, yep, verse 14, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the, his fields to feed the pigs. And we know what that means, don't we? Pigs, the nastiest job around. Nobody wanted to be pigs. Pigs were unclean in that culture. It was the worst job that he picked up. And so he, um, and he was longing to feed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And that's an interesting one, because actually the pigs were eating, and he wasn't. He was less valuable now than the pigs, than the worst animal. So he was viewed as having no value whatsoever in that society and the place. He'd got from reckless living to no value whatsoever. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. He was in a tough place at a tough time without grace around him. I think you can feel the emotion a little bit there, can't you? Particularly those... Um, who are thinking about their sons or their brothers and sisters and difficulty maybe they've got themselves in. You can see that sometimes people buy just reckless living. They get themselves 
into that kind of mess. And that's where he was. Okay, so verse 17. But when he came to himself, interesting that, isn't it? In all the stories I've heard, there's this this moment of thinking, what am I doing here? There's that moment of, come on. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So he acknowledged that he had done wrong. He acknowledged that he had rejected his father, his father's weight. Yeah, he acknowledged that he was doing things that were not right. But interestingly, his first concern was not with his father. It was before heaven. And you and I, when we do do things wrong, actually the first thing we do is we sin, is we do the wrong thing, or don't do the right thing, first person we're accountable is to God, isn't it? It's to him that we let down. Not to the person. First thing, we, I mean, you know, we've all let down our dads, let's be honest. Um, I'm not going to go into one or two of the things I've done. And the times when I say, oh, look, dad, I didn't quite get that right. We've all done that, haven't we? But here, the first thing was that he sinned before God and had to acknowledge that, which he did, humbly. And then acknowledged what he'd done to his father. And he arose and came to himself. And then the bit that I love about this passage more than anything else is the next phrase. But while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, so the movement in this last moment wasn't necessarily the son running in. It was the father running to his son. How amazing, isn't it? He didn't deserve it. We know what he got involved in. He deserved to be feeding the pigs, didn't he? He'd wasted the money. All the, the family was all poor because of it. But the father, because of the love for his son, ran in an undignified way. He ran. He embraced him. No, oh gosh, you're a bit smelly with the pigs. No, he embraced him and kissed him. That acknowledgement of him, of the forgiveness for what he'd done. I um, just think we need to pause for a little moment here. And just acknowledge this picture of grace that we see. Acknowledge the picture here that is of the grace that God has given to you and to us. Acknowledge that. Um, There's a phrase that has been really uh, resounding with me, um, particularly over this holiday. um, And it is that the father is more keen on restoration than either the younger son. And that God is more keen when we don't quite walk in the way we should do. When we do things you're not supposed to or don't do things you should do. He is most keen in the restoration of that relationship. More than we are. He is more interested in that restoration of relationship than what we've done. Yes, there is an element of repentance. Acknowledging what we've done before God. 
and before man. But he's, God is so keen. And that passion that God's heart has for us is just amazing. That's what first called us all to him, didn't, wasn't it? That passion for God. But that's what calls to us day by day. And I want us just to be able to feel that in our heart today. Philip Yancey writes uh, a fantastic book that, again, some of you will have read, and if you haven't, I encourage you to, called um, What's So Amazing About Grace? Almost lost it there. Um, and he says this about God's grace. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. Because it isn't human to forgive like that. It isn't human to love like that. That is supernatural. That is Father God. The other thing Philip Yancey said, which I think is really interesting, he said, when comparing other religions, he said, only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. Only Christianity. Whatever you investigate, philosophies, religions, it's only Christianity that has that unconditional love. The other thing I'm aware of here is that when we talk about forgiveness, we talk about uh, coming to our Father, we have, I haven't talked about the cross. And the cross isn't specifically talked about here, but there are definitely echoes of it all the way through, isn't it? That forgiveness that we get, only comes through Jesus' death and resurrection of the cross. It's only because he's taken the penalty for our sin that we can actually come back into that loving relationship. So if you like, the cross, even though it's not mentioned here, is absolutely central to this part of the parable. Actually, to all of it. As I said, I'm quite keen on touching your hearts today as well as your minds, because we know this. Okay, so that's the younger brother. That's the amazing grace of God. And then we come to the older brother, not mentioned in the other two parables. Now his older son, verse 25, was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. You can just sense the unfairness in hearing the music and dancing. You know, when you're outside a party, you can just sense, hmm, what's going on there? And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years have I served you, but never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And in this discussion, the older brother is right. He hadn't done that. He, you can see why he would feel aggrieved. Interesting culturally, actually, because this would have been a kind of village-type affair, the celebration, the dancing. Everybody would have been there. And that the father went outside would have been very public. And the disagreement with the elder son would have been very humiliating. So the older son there wasn't just jealous, but he was humiliating his father by refusing 
to come in. There's a real sense here of the pride of this man who thought, do you know what? I am better than that younger son. I'm better than him. In fact, he doesn't even here call him his brother. He just says, your other son. Doesn't even call him his brother. Doesn't even want to dignify him because he knows that he is better. He has done the right thing. He is more holy. He's walked in the right way. He has honoured the Father. And he knows, in inverted commas, that he has the right, whereas the younger son doesn't. And you really get that sense of pride, don't you? You don't like the elder brother, do you, as you read this? But he answered his father, Look, these many years have I served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Now, I just want to suggest to you that as Christians, we can see these as that they're talking to the tax collectors and sinners and the scribes and Pharisees. And we can see that at a distance and think, yeah, that's right. We can sometimes relate to that younger brother, can't we? And say, look, we, yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, I know I've let him down. I know I need to come back to him. I, I know I need to do that daily, but I know I, there's patches in my life when I've done that. Many of us can relate to that. But we don't really want to relate to the older brother, do we? don't really want to relate to him. But actually, when we think about it, there's an element in some of us, dare I say it, in myself, there's something in all of us of that sense of pride that shouldn't be there. What do I mean by that? Well, um, maybe in a work situation it goes like this. I've been in the job longer. I should get that promotion be mine. All right. Should be mine. I go to more prayer meetings. So I should be recognized more than them in the church. I didn't sin like that. So at least I'm better than them. There's that real sense. And these are two key areas that Jesus in in all his grace is raising to this crowd and I think raises to us today where we are susceptible to fall short, aren't we? And we all know with that. We're the temptation to fall short. I love the end of this story because it finishes and it doesn't finish. And he said to him, so the father, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. So he was gracious. The father was gracious to the elder son. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad For this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Trying to draw him in to that enthusiasm for the younger brother. But interestingly, we don't know actually what happened. Did the older brother eventually say, look, Dad, you're right. Yep, okay. Did the younger brother think, okay, well, I've I've come back for a week. Let's hop off again and have another go. We don't know what happened, do we? There's no understanding within this parable of the long-term story. We just have to take it as here, as a couple of challenges to us. Okay. So, just in conclusion, I'm going to read a couple of passages to you. Um, One from Romans and one from John. 
and just to encourage our hearts with this. Romans 5 verse 20 said, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You need to know this morning, the grace of God abounds more than anything. Some of the story of Sawat makes me feel uncomfortable. I think there should be some sort of retribution. But actually, God's grace abounds all the more than the sin. All the more than anything that you've done, think you've done, or done in a repeated way. His grace is all the more for you. And John 15, 16 says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and fruit that should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He, Father God, chose you. What a blessing. Not because of who you are, not because of anything brilliant that you've done. You may well have done some fantastic things, but he chose you. What a story of grace. What a story of grace. What a privilege it is to know our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you for your word in the Bible. I want to thank you that you speak to us time and again through passages we may have read again and again and again. Lord, your word is alive, sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, we just open our lives to you this morning. We want to open ourselves to you, Lord. I just want to give you an opportunity now. If you just need to bring something before God, whatever it is in your own heart, then just do that. Just bring it before him, the loving Heavenly Father who is full of grace. Bless you, Lord. I thank you for your grace that you chose me, not because of who I am, not because of what I do, not because of anything in me, but you chose me because you chose me. I want to thank you for that, Lord. I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I pray that you would bless us as we move forward to worship you. Lord, we would worship you because of who you are, because of your grace and your truth. And we just want to thank you, Lord. We just want to thank you for your powerful grace this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.